All right. Well, last time we left off, we got through the introductory material of Acts. I didn't get any farther than the introductory material. But um, Acts. Who wrote the book of Acts? Luke. That's right. Luke. Luke is um, the same person who wrote um, the book of Luke. Um, Luke is, we know that he uses sources, may have used many sources um, that he has used for the, for the book writing of the book of Luke, uh, records of speeches, ancient histographs. So he's, he's gathering a bunch of different information, trying to gather a, put together a history. This is like volume two of the book of Luke. So as we go through this, we've got to keep in mind that this is really just part two of something we've already had. So a lot of the themes in the book of Luke are continued in the book of Acts. You can't just say, well, it's, you know, it's different than Matthew. Well, yes, it's different than Matthew. Matthew didn't write it. It's written, um, Luke wrote it, and it's part two of his story. So he expects you to have already have read uh, um, the book of Luke. And so as that being said, his primary focus is just like in, in the Gospel of Luke, the primary focus is on that universal Christ. Christ is for everybody. And so there's a big emphasis on this. Um, and so he'll use different terminology. He'll use words differently than, say, Paul will. Um, because he's, you know, he may use it, you know, like, well, for example, the word tongues. Um, Paul will use it differently than Luke will. Luke, when he uses the word tongues, he's mostly speaking of other languages because it's the universal Christ, the tongues of all universe. Paul uses that word differently because he's speaking differently to a different group of people. So we have to keep in mind um, as we read these, who's writing it, the, the background, the purposes, so that when we read through these things, we don't get things out of context. Uh, it's too easy for us to get things out of context and say, well, this means this because we've taken one verse out of out here and one verse out of here and put them together. And that doesn't work. Um, and so um, so we will try to keep that in mind as we go through the book of Luke, uh, the book of Acts, um, Luke part two, ever so briefly. Um, all right. In the book of Luke, it does actually have some historical value for us. Um, more than 30 countries are found in the book of Acts. Over 50 cities and towns are found in Acts. Numerous islands are identified in Acts. Approximately 100 persons are noted in Acts, 60 of whom are not mentioned anywhere else in the New Testament, except for the book of Acts. Um, the book of Acts demonstrates an impressive knowledge of geography, uh, reflects knowledge of the political and, uh, politics and customs of the time, shows knowledge of seafaring, provides background uh, of the first century Mediterranean world. We actually know some about what's going on in the first century Mediterranean world because of the book of Acts. Um, It gives us, even though, it, and, and it does provide, show us that the, 
the gospel has gone before even what the, the, the author of the book knows. For example, um, in Acts 28, Rome is mentioned, and Christianity is already there, but it doesn't tell us how it got there. Uh, Egypt as well in Acts chapter 11. It's known that it's there, but it doesn't tell us that they went, it's a, you know, persecution and they spread. So it's assumed that that's when it happened. But we don't know who, what, where, what, who the major figures are in that. Now there's a, a, a global emphasis on the book of, um, on this. Dating. Um, there's, Two major secular dates you can give this, okay? There's a later date period or an earlier date period. Um, the later date period would be 80 to 100. Um, that's if it took, if you go for later dating, you would say, well, it took time to prepare it. Um, teach to develop the material and it'd be passed on. It may not even be Luke who's doing the final writing. And uh, um, this has been a date given in many of the books. Of course, there's an earlier dating period. We do know that the material in the book, whether when it was written down or not, the material in the book uh, ends with Paul preaching in Rome. The gospel is unhindered. He arrives in Rome circa A.D. 59, stays two years, and died in the early 60s. This would put it during the uh, Nero's persecution. Um, so no later than 66 is when that would happen. Um, before the fall of the temple. There's no mention of the fall of the temple, destruction of the temple in the book of Acts. So we know it's earlier than AD 70. So the material itself would be before, ends before uh, Nero leaves his office in 66. So um, so we, we ask the question, if he's writing this as he goes... It would be no later than the late 60s. Or it could take it a while to prepare and pass down and collect, and so it would be 80s and 100s. We don't know exactly when it was written. Unfortunately, we do not have any original manuscripts. Um, paper is something that is um, quite fragile. I mean... How many of you guys have books in your house that are not even 100 years old yet and have fallen apart? And those are relatively well put together books, let alone scrolls and papyrus. Um, unfortunately, um, original manuscripts are just something that does not hold together. So we don't know exactly when it was written, but the material inside of it is no later than 66 A.D. Um, Luke has shaped his story around Jerusalem. It starts in Jerusalem and it moves to the outward of the, the rest of the world. So it's the universal Christ starting in Jerusalem, moving outward to the rest of the world. Um, 
What's the name of this book? <laughs> we call it Acts. You know, the, 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 the books, the, the manu- earliest manuscripts we have don't actually have a title to them. It's not like we have, it says Acts at the top of it, and, you know, you have the papyrus. That's not how it works in ancient writings. Um, in the older scrolls, it just, whatever the first word was, that was on the scroll. You unroll it and read it. Um, these would have been written differently, um, still maybe using the scroll system, going towards codexes, which are what will become books, but not yet, um, sewn together pieces of parchments. Um, so we actually don't have, we call this Acts. Um, your King James Version of the Bible, I think, says what, Acts of the Apostles? Um, Acts of the Holy Spirit, growth of the church. I personally like Acts of God through his apostles. That's my personal favorite. (laughs) But, um, because I think it's more descriptive of what it actually says. But um, we just refer to it as Acts a lot, even though that's just partial of the, the title. If you go to most Bibles, I'll actually pull out a real Bible, not my... Not my electronic version, but you go to the book of Acts in your, your Bible, sometimes they will just have Acts like this because we don't know what to call it, and sometimes it'll have Acts, the Acts of the Apostles or Acts of the Holy Spirit. Um, it's Acts. <laughs> um, I like Acts of God through his disciples. It's a very descriptive title. Themes. As you think of the book of Acts, what do you think of? What's some of the things you think of? What kind of themes are found in there? Birth of the church? Absolutely. What else? When you guys think of the book of Acts, what do you think of? Beginning of the Holy Spirit? The giving of the Holy Spirit, absolutely. Chapter 2. That's the day of Pentecost, yes. Oh, gospel being presented, absolutely. A story? Absolutely. Um, the themes... Um, major themes within there are world missions, the province of God, um, the beginning of the church, the power of the Holy Spirit, um, the restore, restored Israel. Um, how about the inclusiveness of the gospel for all people? Um, the gospel's triumph. These are some of the things, and we can come up with other themes, but it's all centered around the mission of the Holy Spirit going out with the good news of the gospel. Good news meaning the proclamation of God as king. Um, I guess before we talk about the purpose of the writing, well, we can talk about the purpose of the writing. 
Purpose of writing. Uh, what do you think it was written for? Why do you think it was written? For us? Yes, it was written for us, but it really, almost really wasn't. Not just Paul's. Remember at the beginning, Luke says in Luke, he's writing to a man named Theophilus. And he's documenting for this God-fearer. That's what Theophilus means, God-fearer. So that he can know what happened was. And so... um, So it's for him. Um, we might say it's um, it's a missionary tract. It's um, the story of the missionaries for a God fearer to know the history, what's happened in the church. Um, Luke leaves it unfinished, I think, because he believes others will add to it. Um, And he writes about the work of the apostles. Um, When we say apostles, we don't often think of the book of Acts. Most time we think of what? The Gospels. And the book of Acts, as you read through it, and we're not going to be able to read through every passage in Acts, you're going to see... The um, the apostles are actually kind of shadowy figures. They're you know they don't take large roles. Um, we have Paul being Luke will concentrate on Paul, um, but he doesn't mention the the original twelve hardly at all. I mean you have Peter and John. And there's silent partners that are mentioned. Um, James, John's brother, is killed by the sword in chapter 12, but we don't get any elaboration on that at all. Um, If you believe John Mark is Mark, which a lot of people do, not everybody, but a lot of people do, then then you have him mentioned when he has a fight with Paul and Barnabas with him go to Cyprus. And, um, you know, so you have a, mentioned there, but we really don't see the 12 mentioned hardly at all in there. Um, tradition holds like Peter goes to to church in Rome and starts it up, but that's not really in the book of Acts. It's not the focus. Yes. That's right. Um, that's, that's why it doesn't focus on it because the, the, uh, the apostles were focused in Jerusalem for the Jews. And so this would have been focused on the, as the universal Christ going outward. Um, so we don't have a lot about the apostles. Um, we mentioned the church in, uh, in uh, Jerusalem when they go back, which uh, James, who is not one of the twelve, is... Uh, is leading up. Um, so we don't have a big focus on the um, the apostles, rightly so, because what David said is because it's not written for them. It's uh, This is written more for the Gentiles. And um, 
Paul does more for them than any other character in the Bible. Um, yes, in a way, uh, it does give proof that Jesus Christ who it says, but that's actually not really the main focus of the book of Acts. It's one of the focuses. He says, he, especially at the beginning, but as you get towards the end, that's not really the focus anymore, is it? It's about the missionary tract of what's going on, how it's being spread. The very beginning, it's all about Jesus. And then that kind of fades away as they just talk about Jesus being accepted. Many believe, we've been preaching through it on Sundays, right? And many believe, but then they don't really, they give less and less of the sermons and Um, yeah, I, you know, there's the, well, we definitely aren't dealing with more and more, but it's, it's for the Gentiles and, uh, mission as this missionary tract, um, as Jesus words are taken out. And, uh, I like to see, uh, how the disciples are making disciples in the book of Acts. I like that aspect of it, though. It's not really focused on, uh, it's not one of the main focuses, but you can see it happening. If you, you know, as you see through it. Um, ah, Luke arranges his narrative into ten major sections. And there's those ten major sections. The prologue and the account of the ascension is, is chapters one, the first part of one. Uh, the founding of the Jerusalem church, one and two. The work of Peter and the Apostles, 3 through 5. And that's really where we stop seeing the Apostles. Um, the persecution of the Hellenist Jews, uh, uh, Jewish Christians and the first missions, 6 through 8. Uh, the preparation of the, for the Gentile mission and conversion of Saul and uh, Cornelius, 9 through 12. The first missionary journeys of Paul, 13 through 15. Paul's second missionary journeys is 16 through 18. Third missionary journeys is in uh, 18 through 20. Paul's arrest in Jerusalem and imprisonment in Caesarea is 21 through 26. And Paul's journey to Rome and his preaching to the Roman Jews in 27 and 28. So we have really 10 different stories going on here as he... Uh, organize the, the the telling of the history. Um, and that's really one of the ways we have to do it as we tell history. I know I'm, I'm starting to think of what we do next after this. I'm, I'm, I'm really going thinking about doing church history after this. Um, and I've been trying to think, how do I organize it um, at a level that will be interesting and um, and, and, and uh, engaging for for people that don't study it on your own, like I do. Um, <laughs> you know, I've had four semesters of church history, and uh, I don't want to, we're not going to do four semesters of it. Um, <laughs> um, but uh, I've been really working on it, and, and telling the different stories as we go, like like periods together, we can't tell everything. We have to tell just portions that are examples of what's going on.
Um, and uh, of course, I'm trying to figure out what I tell and what I don't. Um, is uh, been a challenge for me so far. Uh, so much interesting stuff out there. Fascinating. Tr history is just amazing. I love it. If I wouldn't have been a pastor, I'd have been a historian. All right. Acts 1 through 7. This is probably the better known sections of Acts. Aren't we like that, though? Yeah. We really like to know the beginning of things, and then we... I mean, think about what you, know, you, you really know about the, like, the, the Old Testament. Like, we know, like, Genesis, especially the beginning part of Genesis. And then when it gets further on, like, Ezekiel, and you're like, well, I don't know that one so much. I mean, we're, we're like that, aren't we? Right? We know the, the beginning of a lot of stuff. But then again, how many, of, how many of you guys have seen that beginning part of the movie, like, a hundred times, and you've yet to finish it? <laughs> I mean, <laughs> uh, um, you know, or, you know, you see that, that section that, you, you know, we, we are, we're really like that, aren't we? We, we, we pick and choose our own canons. Um, outline of Acts chapter 7. Um, where, uh, there it is. All right. So, uh, the witness to Christ in and around Jerusalem. That's really, 1 through 7 is about witness to Christ in and around Jerusalem. After chapter 7, they start taking it uh, further out. Um, so, we have uh, the ascension, selection of Judas, replacement, which actually I think we overlook too often. That is a really important step that they stop, they pray about it, they wait. They make good choice, and they 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 can't you know they, they, about who, who we're going to have next. Um, it's an important step, you know. I think about that as as we're going to be choosing a new new person fairly soon for ourselves, as Tristan has left. Not that he was a Judas, but <laughs> uh, traitor going up to Vegas. Uh, no, um, But we're going to have to choose someone new, and we have to. But I think it's important that we do like the we, we we do like you know like the disciples. We take the time to pray about it and work through it, and let God direct the. And uh, you know, a lot of times we when we're reading through Acts, we kind of skip over that section, right? Yeah. Like, there's a lot of names. <laughs> I don't want to talk about the names. Let's get to the cool part, chapter two. We can skip that part in chapter one. Let's go to chapter two. That fiery tongues and the Holy Spirit coming on us. We, we don't need chapter 1. Um, but, <laughs> but before the Holy Spirit came upon them, they, they were time to make themselves uh, complete and ready for the mission. Um, and I think that was, that's important that, we, we, that, uh, that they did that. Um, of course, chapter 2 is probably one of the most famous sections in, in Acts. You know, the, the, the Holy Spirit coming in flames of tongues and Sitting on them and, they, and, and doing all. Um, chapter 3, the first encounters of the church with the religious leaders, Ananias and Sapphira. Uh, second encounter with the church leaders in chapter 5. Seven servants, example of problem solving in 6. And Stephen's fatal clash with Judaism in 6 through 7. 
Um, you know, why don't we read just a section of this? Um, let's turn to Acts chapter 1. Let's go ahead and read a section. Um, I'll start in verse 1 and, and I'll quit when I quit. Um, I produced the former account. What's the former account? Book of Luke. O Theophilus, all about Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up after he had given orders through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen, to whom he presented himself alive after he suffered with many convincing proofs and appearance to them over a period of 40 days and speaking things that other things about the kingdom of God. And while he was with them, he commanded them, do not depart from Jerusalem, but wait for the Holy, for what was promised by the Father, which you have heard for, about from me. For John was baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days for, uh, from now. So when they had came together, they began to ask, saying, Lord, is it time, it is, is it at this time you are restoring the kingdom to Israel? What are they asking? They're still kind of looking for that Messiah to kick the Romans out. There's still that lingering, you need to come and get Rome out of here. Uh, yeah, the occupation, that's right. Um, but he said, it is not for you to know the time of the season for the Father set for his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witness in Jerusalem. And see, he's not, he's like, he doesn't address it like, no, I'm not going to do that. He's like, I'm going to be coming in power. Holy Spirit's going to be coming upon you. You're going to be on mission for me. You'll be my witness in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the farthest parts of the earth. So we're going to be a, a witness in, in Laughlin and Nevada and the United States and the world. That's what he's saying there. You know, boom, boom, boom as he spreads out further and further. And after he said, he, he said these things while he's watching, he was taken up in the cloud and received from him their sight. And while they were staring, they were st uh, starting into the sky, uh, staring in the sky while he was departing. Behold, two men in white cloth stood by them and said, "Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking at the sky? And then Jesus, who was taken up from you into heaven, like this, will come back in the same way you saw him depart into heaven." These two standing in white is supposed to remind us of actually something that's already happened in our Bibles. Can you guess what it is? The two angels that came to Abraham. It's supposed to remind us of the two witnesses that came to witness the power. Or that came to give message to Abraham. And the two that came to Sodom and Gomorrah. And the two that came to... Uh, these are the angels, the messengers. They stand witness that he's gone to heaven. And he'll come back someday. Why are you standing there staring at the sky waiting for him to come back like he's coming back today? It ain't happening. You've got work to do.
Yes, um, they they are they are at the Mount of Olivet, um, which is not in Jerusalem. Well, I don't know. Is it part of Jerusalem today? Uh, is it still separated? I know that it's uh, today. That city's grown so much. I'm trying to remember if it's <laughs> at the time it was outside of the city. <laughs> uh, Yeah, uh, Mount Olives was a, a common place that he went. Um, it represented, I think in Jesus' mind, the Mount Olives represented um, Mount Zion in his head, the, 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 the place, you know, uh, the high place that God was worshipped at. Because uh, Jesus goes up for the transfiguration. And um, um, Mount Olives, very special place in Jesus' ministry. So I think as we, 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 we think about this book, I think when uh, Luke wrote Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and ends of the earth, he's really giving kind of an outline of how the rest of the book will go. We're going to start in Jerusalem. We're going to spread out to the ends of the earth. But he's going to be focused on Jerusalem first and then Judea, Samaria, and outwards. Um, by the time... Um, you know, at the very end, where Paul is in Rome, which is the edge of the known world for, for them, anyways. <laughs> um, you know, the Roman Empire spread all the way into Europe, uh, all the way throughout Europe. And, but it was the center of the, the, the it was the, the center of the empire. It was, um, the, you know, the, the place where all the world was, was at, was in Rome. So they resur- so um, they they um, recount Jesus' ascension, and then they return um, from the mountain that is called the Olive Grove, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey away. What's it mean that it's a Sabbath day journey away? Actually, not it's not um, a Sabbath day journey. See, by the time Jesus was born, the Philistines uh, not Philistines. <laughs> The Pharisees had uh, created a, um, like, what does it mean to work on the Sabbath? Well, they said so many steps equals work. And so if you went past that that many steps, you work. So if it was a Sabbath day journey, it means you could make that journey safely on the Sabbath and not count as work. So it wasn't that far. Um, some of that depended on like what time period. I do not know exactly how far that is because it depends on who you're asking. It's kind of like a cubit, right? How far is a cubit? My cubit is a lot far bigger than your cubit. <laughs> um,
Yes, they do. Yeah, they they got very serious about what determines work. Of course, I think you're missing the point if you're trying to figure out what uh, determines work. But um, but it became it's very serious, and and uh, uh, that's why you can't drive on the Sabbath because that ignition is lighting a fire, and so you can't light any fires on Sabbath, so you can't drive on the Sabbath. Uh, True Orthodox Jews won't even let get in a car, won't even let someone else drive them, because then they're encouraging them to light a fire. And so they'll walk, um, only within certain da- distances. And um, it's, um, yeah, and there are Sabbath elevators, and there's um, all elevators in Jerusalem also go re- automatically return to the first floor, the, the bottom floor, so if you just sit and wait, every elevator will get back to the, the ground floor. Um, so it's, it's, um, it's a fun time. But yeah, so there, at this time, the Olive Grove is near Jerusalem, but not in Jerusalem. I do believe that today, it's actually might as well be in Jerusalem, because the city has expanded so big. Um, but um, I've not been there, so I cannot attest that. If you guys want to send me there, then I can come back for all this. And say, just saying, me and my wife and family can go and bring back these 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 memories. Um. <laughs> uh, <laughs> just saying. Um. But, uh, okay, so uh, they returned and they went to the the upstairs room. A lot of people think this is the same upstairs room that they had the Last Supper in. Um, Sure, why not? They're in upstairs room. Um, It could have been a different one. It's where they're staying. Um, Peter and John and James and Andrew and Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James, son of Alphaeus, Simon the Zealot, and Judas, son of James. They make sure they throw in Judas, son of James, not the other Judas, because he's dead. All of these were busily engaged with one mind in prayer together with the women, Mary, and the mother of Jesus with his. They got a full house there. This is a crowded upper room. Um, and they got all these people there just praying and, and, and being engaged with one another and, and remembering and uh, probably doing some mourning and some celebration. They know he rose up and he did, but there's also he's not here with us. And that emo- can you imagine the emotional roller coaster? He's dead. He's rising. He's he's gone again. <laughs> um, that's an emotional roller coaster. They got some time. They're going to have to go through the grieving process, and um, you know they didn't have grief share to help them through it. Uh, <laughs> But they're they're going through this process, and uh, and so they 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 do take some time to um, to pray and gather together and, and remember Jesus and remember his teachings. I wonder if some of the the writings in in not in like the gospel form, but some of the original writings might have been written down or recorded at this time as they're recording some of their writings. 
uh, you know, they're uh, not in their final form, obviously, but they're, they're talking about the life of Jesus, the guy who just left. I mean, isn't that one of the things that we do in funerals? We talk about the person, their stories, and, I mean, reminisce, and we have some of the stories. So some of what becomes the gospel will probably be beginning to form at this time as they're reminiscing about who Jesus is. Um, All right. Um, let me pull out my actual Bible. I think I want to read from it. I go through phases where I want to read from the computer, and sometimes I want to read from actual paper. Um. Then they choose Matthias as to replace Judas as part of the twelve to represent the twelve tribes. So they're still focused on Jerusalem. And when the day of Pentecost comes, what is Pentecost? Well, it is the day that the, they receive the Holy Spirit. But why? But but if it's got a name, Pentecost, it's got to be something before that. Fifty days. Uh, um, uh, it's 50 days after Passover. That's what it means, 50 days after Passover. Uh, it's a time of celebration. Um, it's also a time where they remember um, their time in the wilderness. Because after Passover, there's Sukkot, which is where you remember the time in the wilderness. That's 40 days. And then you have 10 days after that, you have the another celebration where you remember the entering into the harvest of the, the land of milk and honey and uh, some, this might also be called the Feast of Trumpets. Um, that's Pentecost is actually just the, um, the Greek name. Uh, Penta meaning 50. Um, and so they've got, the, this is 50 days after Passover and um, It says, when the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in the place. Suddenly a sound like a blowing violent wind came violently and filled the whole house where they were sitting. Um, Kind of reminds me of other passages in the scripture. Does it remind you of other passages in the scriptures? What does it remind you guys of? Okay, like a wind. Actually, in the Old Testament, ruach often meant spirit or wind. So a violent wind. So like this, the spirit came in power and authority and was violently rushing into the room you could feel it in this upper room that doesn't you know that's not supposed to happen <laughs> like the temple absolutely where the the, the flame it represents the holy spirit coming and filling the temple how about the flame that guided them by uh by day and by night or the the violent wind or uh 
Elijah, where the wind came by and then the earthquake and then the, 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 the fire that came by. And then the Holy Spirit was, voice was heard. These are all images that we're supposed to gather from the Old Testament. These are supposed to be very vivid memories of the Old Testament. Burning bush, absolutely, where Jesus, or the, the voice of God was in the bush, the I am was in the bush. Um, the, uh, um, the great I am, the I am that I am. And, um, I mean, we, we have these images of fire and, uh, and wind being symbols for, the, for God's power throughout the Old Testament. Uh, signs of judgment and power and, and the temple being filled. Um, Ezekiel has some beautiful imagery in this regard. Uh, Ecclesiastes. Um, you know, so we have these books. And so we we're supposed to get all these images kind of just like the Holy Spirit flooding our mind. All these different images are supposed to be flooding our mind because we read the Old Testament, right? Um, yes, we read the Old Testament. <laughs> Um, it says, suddenly the sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. And what they saw seemed to be like tongues of fire separated and came to rest on each of them. And they were filled with the Holy Spirit and began speaking in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Um, Now, because it's Pentecost, there's also Jews from all over the place. Because Pentecost is one of those those holy festivals where you're supposed to, if you're able, come back to Jerusalem. So you got lots of different people from lots of different areas living there. Jews from all different nations are living are coming to there for this this uh, festival. And so they were staying in Jerusalem, God fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard the sound of the crowd came together in bewilderment. Because each one heard them speaking in its own language. How amazing is that? I think this is even more amazing. You know, um, we sometimes talk about tongues and like utterances from heavens and, and, and voices of language. I think this is even more impressive to me because it's the languages that everyone around them was speaking. And God uses that voice, that, la- that wind, um, to draw them in as this loud like boom happens right this loud wind apparently it wasn't you know like it wasn't just in the room that was hearing it everyone around them was hearing this this wind come whipping through and landing the fire landing on there and they were like what in the world's going on over there and so they start to look and gather and then and god is using all this noise and visual effects to draw everyone together so that they can hear the message in their own tongues, in their own language. And they ask, and, and it says, are, are not these men who were speaking Galileans? How is it that each one heard them in their own native tongues? Uh, uh, and then they list a whole bunch of different lang- uh, languages that are, are there. And I'm going to skip over because I don't want to go through all of them. Um, And some of them, however, said, well, they're just, they just had too much wine, right? Um, there's always going to be someone who says no. 
That's something we have to remember. There's always going to be someone who says no. Always people are going to make fun of. Always people are going to doubt. Even these Jews that heard, saw all this, heard people speaking languages that they don't know, they're like, no, nah, they just had too much wine. <laughs> You're just drunk. Yes, Galileans would have been people, they would have been the poor, the, the, at this time, anyways, they would have been the, um, the, um, the rural f- southern farmer in the United States, you know, the, 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 the uneducated guy who, they were all fishermen up in the, the northern part where they, you know, they didn't have nice things like schools and, uh, yeah, that would have really stood out. And then Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice, and addressed the crowd. Um, and he's going he's gonna to preach, um, he's going to draw from the Old Testament, which is the Bible that they would have known. And they would, he calls for repentance. Um, I'm not going to read the entire sermon of, of Peter. Um, but verse 37 says, When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart. Um, when they heard them speaking, they were cut to the heart. What can we do, they say. And he says, repent and receive the Holy Spirit. So over 3,000 men were saved and presented for baptism. Can you imagine have 3,000 people? In one sitting. I mean, that's big for even like a Billy Graham concert. That's <laughs> um, that's that's a big group. Um, women and children did not often attend these meetings, um, so they could have been there and not just counted because you would count the men. It was just the culture at the time, or they may not have been there in because the, they often did not attend these meetings. Um, so. Um, I don't know if they just weren't there and not counted, or they just. Uh... Mm-hmm. Yeah, we're definitely going to see a contest between the two of those. Yeah, and there's always going to be people that don't believe. We have to accept that. It's tough for us, though, right? Because we want all to come to Christ. There's just some going to be some that doesn't, uh, and they're going to be they're going to be cut to the heart. The Holy Spirit is going to convict them. Absolutely right. And somewhat. I'm not sure I heard, heard you right. Oh, well, absolutely. Well, of course, there's people that don't follow them that I even believe about it and just don't follow them. Um, I can think of lots of people that believe and know but just don't choose to follow. Um, uh, where are we at? Um, I guess 42. Let's go to 42. They devote themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to breaking of bread and to prayer. 
Everyone was filled with, with awe and f- many wonders and miracle signs were done by the apostles. All the believers were together and everything and had everything in calling, selling, selling their possessions and goods and they gave to er- anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and the sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the fever of all the people. Um, and the Lord added to their numbers daily those who were being saved. Um, kind of maps out a longer term outcome from the, the Pentecost conversions. You know, they were, they, they didn't just cross the line of, uh, of sal- the salvation line. You know, they were saved, and baptized, and now go on. No, they were they were discipled. I think that's one of the major sections that the church as a whole has failed um, is discipleship, um, especially in, the, in late uh, later years. Uh, we failed in discipleship, and uh, that's because uh, we we uh, I think too many people turned it into uh, I guess with uh, consumerism, uh, a sales market. You know, you sell Jesus. And as long as you get them to, to buy into Jesus, then you don't care if they actually follow Jesus as long as they bought into it. And we don't care if you use the product. Uh, and that's something that came is relatively new. Uh, relatively. I say that because history is long. <laughs> um, and uh, it, it came out of that uh, salesman mentality. Um, Dorbydale salesman and, and that consumerism that really uh, took over in the modern era, uh, going into the postmodern era. I think it's fading away as we go past the postmodern era, thankfully. Uh, we're post-postmodern. It is very dangerous if you don't have sanctification. And it's not true. I mean, how can you say you truly believe if you don't start following after him? Because um, I mean, isn't that what Jesus calls to do? Pick up your cross and follow me daily. Uh, if you're not following him, how can you say you really believe? Absolutely. I mean, I, I've met many people that Oh, well, I'm saved. I'm good. Uh, you know, it doesn't matter if I'm, however I'm living, whatever I'm doing, whatever, you know. Uh, there's no sanctification there. And, you know, good thing, I, I'm thankful I'm not the judge in the end. I can't know this. Um, I'm thankful for that. But I do know he's called us to sanctification, to become more and more like, to walk in that path. Um, But yeah, so they they do they do do discipleship. They do um, they do fellowship together, and we can't forget the importance of fellowshipping together. Um, you know, they have awe and wondrous signs, sharing of the physical goods and possessions, meeting together in the temple courts, enjoying praise of God and favor outside of the growth of the church. 
Um, yeah, V1, because uh, UR1. Yeah. I'm sorry, I'm just looking to see what I put. Apparently, I put all that on there. I didn't mean to. Anyways. Um, okay, we only got a few minutes. Um, let me ask this question real quick before we go. Uh, as, as we just read that, it says, um, um, that they were performing miracles, right? And that seems to be a major theme that we're going to see, like chapter 3, um, which we will start with next week. Um, there's a miracles go happening. What is a miracle? Something out of the ordinary? Supernatural? Act of God? Um, these are all common things. I think they are good. I mean, that's usually what we think of. Miracles are act of God. Um, some we consider supernatural. Um, I do have a problem with the idea of supernatural, though. I don't know if that's a biblical term. The idea of supernatural and natural as if there's like something separate. I don't think the Bible really has that in it. Um, um, but I, I'm gonna I'm gonna go a little broader with miracle. Any action that strengthens the faith of the believer. Um, Something that shows the power of God. So, do miracles happen? Yes. Can sometimes miracles have scientific explanations to them? Yes. So God can use His creation in the rules that He has laid out to do a miracle for the glory of God for beliefs. So miracles don't always have to be something that is unexplainable. Sometimes they have perfectly good explanations. They're still a miracle. Sometimes they don't have good explanations. We're going to see a lot of healings in, in the book of Acts. And they don't have very good explanations. You know, God heals them. And they were like that from birth. And so their muscles should be all atrophied. <laughs> and they're not. They're up jumping around. That's not something that happens naturally. Um, but I, I think uh, when we talk miracles, I think sometimes we want to make it, you know, we want to look for something. I think if we look for just, what I'm, I'm trying to say is I guess if we're looking for just these big, amazing events like healings, we miss the everyday miracles that God is doing. Because um, I think if a lot of times we don't see the miracles that God is doing because we're not looking for them. We want to see the, 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 the supernatural, the big 
uh, big, huge, you know, there was cancer there yesterday, and today there's no cancer. We want to see those kind of things. And um, do those happen? Absolutely. But so a lot of times there's little everyday miracles that we just miss if we just focus on those. That is absolutely a miracle. Anytime someone comes to know Jesus, we had baptisms. That's a miracle. Uh, you know, these little miracles that happen that, that have perfectly good explanations. You know, that's, these, are, these, are, these are powerful. And they strengthen the faith of the believers around us. I don't know, when I, when I was in the waters baptizing eight people, my faith was strengthened. <laughs> I hope you guys were watching it were that way too. But, uh, um, you know, I, you know, so it's, uh, yeah. Um, well, it's 7 o'clock, so we'll pick up with chapter 3. Uh, I will not read through all of chapter 3, 4, 5, you know, 7. We're going to go pick up speed um, as we go through this, but we'll start at 3 next week. Uh, do we have any questions, concerns, comments? All right. Um, let's pray. Father God, we praise you today, Lord. We thank you for this wonderful time we've gathered together, Lord. I pray that you just bless us as we study your scriptures and help us to look for the everyday miracles that you have provided for us around us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. All right.